0: Blaze Radio Network. And now, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, happy warrior, to the Rabbi Daniel Lapin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world. works. Thanks for being part of the show and for joining us here. And, uh, you know, I realized this uh, past week that if I wanted to really expand the number of people listening to the show, what I should do is retool the show to be all about how wonderful we all are. You don't have to change. Just Keep on doing more of what you're already doing. You're fantastic. Everything is wonderful. You are all incredible human beings. You've all achieved the apex of your accomplishments. You are everything you could possibly be. You are living your best life now. And I am sure that if that would become the theme of the Rabbi Daniel and Show why my popularity would soar most gratifyingly. But alas, I cannot do that because my reputation for veracity compels me to tell you the truth. It compels me to turn aside from the seductive occupation of massaging you with warm butter. No, I have to tell you the truth. And the truth is, not only are you capable of becoming better than you are today, but you must become better than you are today. Not only do you need to recognize that yesterday you were not as good as you are today, and today you're not as good as you could be tomorrow. But you have to recognize that that is the direction of the most satisfying and fulfilling life imaginable. This is not easy, and uh, I know it's far from welcome, because only a real happy warrior is comfortable listening to a conversation that essentially says, you're not perfect. There is room to improve you know your five F's, your family, your faith, your finances, your fitness, and your friendships. Well, guess what? You could actually do better in your finances. If you focused correctly, and you made the necessary changes in yourself, yes, you could earn dramatically more revenue each year than you're earning now. And by the way, with the inflation officially cited now at 9.1 percent and in truth somewhere between 15 and 20 percent right now uh, obviously increasing your revenue and improving your finances is a desirable thing it's a good thing to do and at exactly the same time are you really telling me you cannot improve your family situation are you married to somebody is that marriage relationship as wonderful as it could be or do you still have to find a person to marry do you have to become the right person to get married how about fitness is your weight where it should be you know is uh, all all these metrics of of health and fitness uh Are they where they should be? Are they where they could be? No, of course not. And I don't even have to see you to know that. I can just, I know myself. We're all capable of improvement. Friendships. um, uh, Have I maintained friendships correctly? Are there any friendships that are uh, dwindling in intensity that with a phone call or a get together, I could nourish and restore? Right. And how about faith? Uh, My connection with God. Yeah, there's probably a thing or two you could do about that, right? I would imagine. And uh, so it is with uh, each and every aspect of our beings, our family and our faith, our friendships, our fitness and our finances. All of those could be improved. But how is the question? I'm going to tell you that today. That's what this show is all about how there's an awful lot of false indoctrination and propaganda out there right it's all based on making us deterministic uh, in an animalistic kind of a way Uh, all of what you're gonna hear out there in the culture um, is based on the presupposition that we are nothing but another form of animal we're another spot on the spectrum of life, and uh, we human beings are nothing special and nothing different. Well, this is a false perception of reality, and you obviously shouldn't take my word for it. You should look around you and see whether those groups of people in your culture, your country, your society, those groups of people, who have wholeheartedly bought into this idea that we are nothing but animalistic, and I'll give you three specific examples in just a moment, you could ask yourself, are they happy? Are they free of anxiety? Are they fulfilled? Or are they, in fact, the least happy examples of humanity? And let me give you three quick examples. Uh, One of the wrong beliefs that we are propagandized to believe is that since we are all animalistic, we're all basically predeterministic in the sense that everything we do is just a function of stimuli, it's a function of the way our brains are wired, and that pretty much controls everything we do, everything is driven by a biological need for survival and a biological imperative to spread our genes. That accounts for absolutely everything that we do. The reality, of course, is that nothing could be further from the truth. It is a very distorted picture of humanity. And consequently, the prescriptions that that approach offers for success in your life uh, are going to be seriously flawed. Uh, No we're not hardwired to do certain things like become alcoholics or be, behave in a homosexual kind of a way. No, we're not hardwired to do any of those things. Do I realize that I am contradicting all that science says? No, I'm contradicting a lot of what scientists say. I'm not at all contradicting what science says. The trouble is that it is extremely difficult it takes time, it takes research ability to actually put your finger on what science really does say because so much of this is considered politically incorrect and uh, professors, scientists, all kinds of people lose their uh, grants, they lose their jobs, they lose their positions, they sometimes lose their tenures for saying the wrong things on any aspect of these topics. And so the culture will tell you we 're hardwired to do everything we do are you um, do you gamble away the the rent money? <laughs> hey, listen, come see a psychiatrist there 's nothing that we can 't find a pill for that'll fix you because you 've just got a, a temporary hardwired going on in you a hardwire error in your brain We 'll fix that in no time. Uh, the only thing, of course, they believe that cannot be fixed is homosexuality. That is absolutely hardwired. It's kind of funny. And therein lies one of the firmest indicators that this is um, very far from a scientific perception. But be that as it may, that is what you're going to be told. Essentially, don't even think of changing, uh, you know, if uh, if you are a... Uh, overweight, lazy person. Hey, that's your body type. That's your personality makeup. Live with it. Don't fight it. Uh, needless to say, that avenue leads to um, <laughs> really rough times and, and sad living. Uh, example number two, how about uh, there's no real difference between men and women that cannot be adjusted for, that can't be changed. There's no real difference between men and women. Yeah, there are socialized differences. You know, because you teach little boys to play with trucks and guns and you teach little girls to play with dolls, they obviously come out a bit different. But there's no need to do that because fundamentally, uh, boys and girls are exactly the same. So that would be an example of a... Uh, belief that is being beamed out at you by your society, by your culture by your, in some cases your friends and family but uh, you have to be aware that the the, the landscape that I am going to be depicting today uh, could not be more different and the obligation rests on you to decide whether I'm wrong and they are right or whether they are wrong and I am right the one thing you should not do, please, is just ignore it and move on. You really need to decide whether what I'm telling you in today's uh, program is true or, or at least more true or whether what you hear in the culture is more true. I said I'd give you three examples. All right, here's another one. There is no human problem that cannot be solved by a specialist doctor you got a rash in your skin, i got a dermatologist for you. Um, you've got deep-seated insecurities and anxieties and problems with your parents, hey, i got a psychiatrist that'll fix you. Uh, you got a heart problem, hey, no problem. Got a cardiac specialist, he'll take care of you. Uh, we got a pill for almost anything that is wrong. So that would be uh, just three examples of the way the culture views human beings and uh, and how different it is from the way that ancient Jewish wisdom views human beings no we're not hardwired to do certain things we are unique among all creatures on the planet in that we have a will and unlike every animal from uh, amoebas to orangutans that operate on instinct we, operate on will. And even though it is hard, we do have the capacity to will ourselves away from self-destructive behavior towards uplifting and positive behavior. Uh, No real difference between men and women? Eh, Not exactly. A huge difference between male and female, so important that it is laid out very early in the book of Genesis. Could have said God made human beings on a non-binary spectrum, or could have just said God made human beings. End of story. But very explicitly, male and female. And so uh, you have to decide. You, you know, don't say, well, that's the religious view, so I'm a religious person, so I should follow that. No, don't say that. Or, or don't say, hey, I'm an atheist, so therefore I have to reject that because it's a religious position. Um, forget the labeling of it. Forget where it comes from. Ask yourself which view more accurately reflects the reality you see around you. Is it really true that the very tiny number of women working on the exciting excavation and construction site with a huge yellow tower crane over the road from me that I love watching, is it purely gender inequality that makes it true that I have yet to see a single woman Standing at the top of a currently being cast 30 foot concrete column measuring 24 inches by 24 inches. Haven't seen a single woman clutching onto the rebar, onto the reinforced steel bars that protrude from the top of that. Haven't seen a single woman. Is that all because of sexism? Is that all because women are kept down? Or is it that. Most women don't care to do that kind of work. Right? So that's what you've got to ask yourself. Right? Again, remember, I'm not in the business of persuading anybody. That's really not what I'm doing. All I'm trying to do is provide a an alternative viewpoint to the popular culture for you to determine, for you to evaluate, for you to weigh up whether the popular culture's view is more correct or the view from ancient Jewish wisdom that I present you with is a more accurate depiction of what you yourself see out there. Um, can everything be solved by a specialist doctor? Is a psychiatrist necessarily the very best person? Is the therapist the very best person to help you with certain uncomfortable feelings that are are inside of you? No. That would not be the case. So, as I explained, some of the regular listeners to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show, and, and by the way, if, if this is one of the first you're you you're hearing, well, you, you've picked a difficult one to dive into. I'll be the first to confess this was not an easy one to, to get started on. But I, I really would strongly recommend that you go back and catch earlier shows Because I tend not to repeat the stuff um, very much at all. And so, for instance, a while back, I did a show on how dangerous is the phrase, I am who I am or I am what I am, uh, which people often turn to as a refuge against the um, compelling call to become more than you are. And the way you resolve that in the most simple and painless way possible is you say, you know what, leave me alone, my conscience. I know you're trying to tell me I can do better. I can become a bigger person, a better person, a a wealthier person, a more generous person, a more compassionate person. I can become a better husband or a better wife. I can become a better father or a better mother. I can become a better brother or a better sister. And you put away that voice by saying, you know what, This is how God made me. I am what I am. It's just how I am. And we have to live with that. So I've spoken about how untrue that is and uh, how um, incredibly destructive that is. And that this statement, you know, hey, I am what I am. That's perfectly true for a camel or a cat or a cow or a kangaroo. Oh, yeah. Very, very, very true. But not at all true for a human being the only creature on the planet touched by the finger of God. And for for more clarity on that, and I, I go far more deeply into this never on the podcast, because that's not what this show is all about, but on a an online course available at my website called Scrolling Through Scripture. I give you everything. I hold nothing back in terms of demonstrating the way to dive deeply into the inner and often hidden meanings in the most significant book in the history of the world, the book that has published more copies than any other book in the history of the world, the book on which all of Western civilization and the conspicuous successes of Western civilization are all based and how and why that all works is in a program called Scrolling Through Scripture. All you've got to do is go to the website, rabbi daniel Lapin.com. Okay, go to rabbi daniel Lapin.com. And uh, you can actually even uh, watch a free episode of the entire course, Scrolling Through Scripture. And uh, I will try and put a, uh, a source for that, a link for that in the description below. But uh, otherwise, just go to rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com and look for online courses, and there you'll see Scrolling Through Scripture, and, and go for it. It's <laughs> look, it's life-changing. And uh, when you realize that it is precisely the book we call the Bible that is responsible for the major distinctions between the West and the rest, Um, And you realize that if that's what this book can do for an entire society, you can imagine what it can do in the life of one human being. And so uh, uh, it's 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 really important. And and I, I lay this out because I want you to understand that there is no commandment in the Torah to believe in God. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but it isn't there. Right? Nowhere does it say, and thou shalt believe in me, saith the Lord. It doesn't say that. Nowhere to be found. You know, in what uh, the Torah itself calls the Ten Statements, never calls them the Ten Commandments, always calls them the Ten Statements. One of the statements is, I'm the Lord your God. But it doesn't say you have to accept that. It doesn't say you shall believe that I am the Lord. Your-. It doesn't say that. It simply lays the groundwork, which is to say that you and I don't have a relationship if you don't acknowledge my existence. And isn't this true for uh, uh, for for people in, in the real world? Right? If um, I can't imagine this happening on the street of any American city, but just imagine a, a thug confronting you and pointing a gun at your head. Um, at that point, you say to yourself, "Listen." Why don't we sit down for a few minutes? Let's have a talk. I'd like to get to know you. I'd like you to get to know me. Surely you realize that that is not the moment for a conversation because he violates step number one. He does not acknowledge your right to exist. As a matter of fact, he is only one brief (sighs) ganglion spasm in, in what goes for a brain in that head from blowing your head off. He most certainly doesn't acknowledge your right to exist. And so, obviously, there's no relationship. Statement number one in Exodus chapter 20 is, I'm the Lord your God. You know, if, if, if that's problematic for you, then, you know, I'm sorry, but we don't ever, there's no basis in going forward. That's all that's about. But nowhere is there an instruction to believe in God. Isn't that interesting? Now, the the great codifier of um, ancient Jewish wisdom was Maimonides, lived about a little over 800 years ago, and uh, when he codifies the rules, he says there's no commandment to believe in God. There is a commandment to know there is a God, which is an entirely different thing, right? Because nobody is commanded, nowhere in the Torah is anybody commanded to do something that is outside of their own volition. And so for instance uh, there would never be there would never be an instruction that says homosexual behavior between two men is prohibited if people didn't have any kind of choice if there was no volition there and uh, nobody would be told hey you must believe in god <laughs> you can't force me you can point a gun at me as islam does and say you must profess a belief in allah <laughs> yeah absolutely you got it i believe yeah, it's amazing how persuasive a 357 magnum can be. But um, in reality, you, nobody can command somebody else to believe in anything. All you can do is encourage behavior and, um, and discovery and investigation that could result in what? No, not belief, in knowledge. So knowing there is a God is what I am called upon to do. not never called upon to believe there is a God no not at all so what am I called to do well I am called to follow a number of commandments a number of commandments in the Torah whose purpose is to produce ultimately a relationship with God that's right I am told to do actions not thoughts now the uh, there are exceptions to that. I'm told not to covet something that someone else wants. That's the tenth statement, if you like, in Exodus. Uh, I mustn't. Now that's a thought thing, right? And that's one of the places we know that we do have control over our thoughts, right? If God says, "I don't want you to steal stuff that belongs to other folks," okay, Lord, done. I won't. I won't do that action. Okay, we're not finished yet. I don't want you to even want stuff that belongs to other. Whoa, I can't help how I feel. Oh, yes, you can. I can't help how I think. Oh, yes, you can. So we're, uh, we're given things to do that actually will shape our belief system. You follow what I'm saying? And this brings us to the crux of today's program. The crux of today's program is an equation that reads actions produce beliefs but like all mathematical equations it can be read from left to right as well as from right to left and so just as actions produce beliefs beliefs produce actions well what are you talking about rabbi lapin isn't this circular thinking you know actions produce beliefs well beliefs produce actions so round and round and round the roundabout we go no, not at all. And uh, I will explain this again in the context of the idea that the, uh, the Torah does not instruct human beings to believe in God. It instructs us to behave in certain ways. So, to give you an example, uh, I am prohibited from speaking gossip about other people. Well, guess what? Every time I exert that control over myself... I actually am impacting my belief system. I'll give you an example of this, and and I'm sure that you would acknowledge this to be the case. Have you noticed who are the most adamant and vehement and emphatic opponents of smoking? It's always people who used to smoke and gave it up. That's right. They get really upset when when you smoke. Got it? Why? Because the action of stopping to smoke is a huge exertion of force and will on your body. Your body craves the uh, nicotine and the tobacco, and you stop and you say, I will not be having a smoke now. That action produces a parallel belief, and the belief is, whoa, smoking is really bad. Well, but that's kind of why I gave up smoking in the first place. Well, yeah, that's that's what I have to explain. That's true, but the other way is also equally true in the same way that 8 equals 4 times 2. So I can multiply 4 by 2 to get 8, but I can also read it the other way, which is 8 equals 4 times 2 or 4 times 2 equals 8, which means I can break 8 down into its factors and say, you know how to what 8 can produce? 8 can produce 4 piles of 2 or 2 piles of 4. And that also, it it reads both ways, but it's not that simple. So I'm now going to go ahead and explain exactly how the uh, action and belief mechanism works, because in understanding how the world really works, very little is more important than in understanding how you work and for me to understand how I work. And when you understand that the interface between body and soul operates on the basis of actions and beliefs, you are so far ahead of the game in not being a tennis ball floating down the gutter of life, it's too wonderful for words. Now, I'm going to explain this, and uh, I've explained in the past certain similarities between the physical world and the spiritual world, the world of the body and the world of the soul. And so I'm now going to give you a very important example from the physical world. But before I do that, uh, allow me, please, to issue a warning. And the warning is that many women listening, and yes, I assure you, your rabbi has no doubt whatsoever As to what a woman is and what a man is, I really know. And uh, there are many beautiful and wonderful female happy warriors listening who are going to have an instinctual tendency to kind of turn me off because I'm going to be speaking about objects in science. And you're going to say, I'm not interested in science. So I don't get science. I know you're going to say that because... The overwhelming majority of men in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, not to say there are no women, but the overwhelming majority of men, tells me not that women are oppressed and not that women are indoctrinated by their parents to think they can't do math. It's just that women are less interested in those things than men are, intuitively, Men are more interested in things, and science is the measurement of things, whereas women are more interested in relationships and people. And so many more therapists are women than are men. They're drawn to the field because they are intuitively better equipped to instinctively understand Human relationships. So, my dear Lady Happy Warriors, please bear with me here. I'm your rabbi. How often do I beseech a favor? How often, right? I don't ask you for a favor that often. Well, today's one of those times. And so, today I say to you, Lady Happy Warriors, please try and hang in here for the next, it's only going to be three or four minutes. And then we'll move on. But guess what? I'm going to work very hard at trying to explain this in a way that is, it's good for everybody, a way that makes sense whether you're interested in science or you're not interested in science, whether you're a man or a woman. I'm hoping to explain, because it's important, it really will help you understand how you work how your soul interacts with your body and how your body interacts with your soul. But let's get on with my example, if you don't mind, okay? And so uh, the example is that water, as everybody knows, is made up of two gases. Now, we all know what water is. Uh, in its liquid form, you drink it. In its solid form, you put it in in drinks or you skate on it. And in its... Um, in its uh, a uh, gaseous form; it's become steam, and then and that can be used to drive steam turbines and do all kinds of useful things. But uh, in its, its usual form, we know it as water, as as a liquid. And every, if you take the the most minuscule uh, quantity of water you can get, it's called a molecule. And if you you know if you take a gallon, you halve it. Um, you get uh, four pints. And if you take four pints and halve it, you get two pints. And if you take two pints and halve it, you get one pint. And if you take one pint and halve it, you get eight ounces. And you halve that, you get four ounces. you keep halving the quantity of water, you'll eventually get to a a teensy-weensy little quantity of water which will resist your efforts to separate it. This is now a molecule. And that molecule is made up of two atoms of hydrogen And one atom of oxygen. Okay, fine. Now, if you are a homeschooling mom, then you may well have already done this experiment. And uh, if you're not, you may want to do it anyway. It will amaze your children and astonish your friends. What you do is you take some water. um, You will need to add a, a tiny little bit of salt or a tiny little bit of sulfuric acid to it. Um, for reasons having to do with conductivity, I won't go into that now. And then you um, you take two, um, uh, I was going to say you know, two pieces of metal. But if you actually want to try this, you might want to try and use a piece of pencil lead or something. Graphite would work okay. Um so would uh, some other metals. Copper wouldn't be the best to use. At any rate, take two pieces of metal and attach one to one side of a battery, attach the other to the other side of the battery, and immerse those, we call them electrodes, immerse them into the water. You're going to notice a stream of bubbles rising from each conductor, from each side of the battery, from each electrode that is connected to the battery. Now, you could actually invert a a glass over each rising column of bubbles and after if you if you use the same size glass you're going to notice after a while that one side seems to have twice as much air or gas in it than the other and it's not air it's actually hydrogen and that's because there's twice as much hydrogen in every molecule of water than there is oxygen. Now, uh, this will carry on, and eventually you'll be able to end up with a little container of hydrogen, which is hard to keep it trapped. It tends to escape quickly. It's so, the, the atoms of hydrogen are so tiny, they even go through the space between the molecules of rubber in an ordinary balloon. You need a mylar balloon uh, in order to keep a, a hydrogen safely trapped, and then you get a lighter-than-air balloon. Uh, oxygen is easier to get trapped uh, to maintain and retain anyway my point is that we are able to convert water into hydrogen and oxygen why because there's an equation that says h2 plus o two atoms of hydrogen plus one atom of oxygen equals h2o equals water but it also reads the other way water equals Two atoms of hydrogen, one atom. So I've now shown that yes, indeed, water does equal two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen for every molecule of water. And I'm showing you, yes, there in front of your astonished eyes, um, the uh, by using battery power, you're actually able to convert the uh, the water into hydrogen and oxygen. Wow, terrific! So see, I was telling you the truth. Uh, after a little while, it's going to stop doing it. Guess why? It's going to stop because you've used up the battery. In other words, I think you would agree that uh, what we've been doing is using energy from the battery in order to separate hydrogen and oxygen. The evidence is that when the battery dies, the bubbles stop rising. If you replace the battery with a fresh battery, you've got no problem at all. And it'll start up again. Bubbles of hydrogen will rise from one electrode, bubbles of oxygen will rise from the other, and away you go. So this kind of reaction is, we call it an endothermic reaction, because what it means is it takes energy. I've got to insert energy. This is like perhaps the most important part of this whole analogy I'm giving you. Uh, As you can see, we needed the battery energy in order to break apart water into oxygen and hydrogen. Now we come to the second part of the uh, experiment, and uh, kids, do not try this at home. Now we want to combine the oxygen we produced and the hydrogen we produced. We want to convert them back to water, and we can even measure how much water diminished. If we have graduations on the side of the, uh, of the beaker or the measuring cup, we can see how much water we lost by converting that amount of water into hydrogen or oxygen. So now we want to convert hydrogen or oxygen back into water and recover that. And uh, the way we do that is we bring them together, and we usually we start off the reaction of them getting together. You just have to make a little spark, and bam, zam, smash, with a big noise and a flash of light, uh, the hydrogen and oxygen vanish, Before your astonished eyes and in its place are the drops of water that were used to make the hydrogen and oxygen in the first place. But what about that bang and the flash of light? Well, that was an explosion. That was a release of energy. So here's an interesting thing. This kind of reaction where when you bring two chemicals together like hydrogen and oxygen, um, it turns into something else and it releases energy. And that's called an exothermic reaction, right? Endothermic takes energy, exothermic releases energy. So um, basically, uh, we, if we don't delve too deeply into uh, 20th century thermodynamics, basically, uh, it is safe and reliable to say that the amount of energy we used up out of the battery in order to convert that amount of water to oxygen and hydrogen, when that oxygen and hydrogen is converted back into the same amount of water, the amount of energy released is exactly the same as the amount of energy we used in the first place. And so that's kind of beautiful and elegant that that happens. But it is important to understand that um, some, w- if you read the equation in one direction, water equals hydrogen and oxygen. Water can be broken down to hydrogen and oxygen. That is endothermic, which means we have to supply energy, right? So the right way to say that equation is water plus energy will result in hydrogen and oxygen because we started off with water and a battery. Now, the other way around, you can say hydrogen plus oxygen equals water plus energy. If you bring hydrogen and oxygen together, There'll be an explosion, a bang, a flash of light, and noise, all of which are versions of energy, and you'll get water plus the energy. Okay. Why am I telling you all this? Because the, the equation that we're looking at now, which is that I can impact my beliefs by certain types of actions, that equation okay, is an endothermic reaction that requires energy. When I look at the equation in the other direction, that beliefs produce actions, that direction produces energy. Okay, so if you think back to this equation, which I hope you could imagine and visualize me doing, I took water plus energy in the battery, and I ended up with hydrogen and oxygen. And now, if I want to go in the other direction, I start off with hydrogen and oxygen, put them together, big flash, big bang, and water. So, hydrogen plus oxygen equals water plus energy, or if you like, water plus energy equals hydrogen and oxygen. And so, when we look at these equations, it's always important to uh, absorb and include energy considerations as well. And that is exactly what we're talking about. Um, You can shape your beliefs by certain actions. Remember I I told you before that uh, the Torah doesn't ask me to believe anything. It asks me to do certain things, and the end result of doing those things are certain beliefs because actions plus energy produce beliefs. But once those beliefs are in place, those beliefs produce action and also a release of energy. I'll explain that more specifically now. And um, we're and that's the end of the science part of it. So all of you brave, lady-happy warriors who diligently, doggedly, and resolutely stuck with me through that scientific explanation, aren't you pleased you did? Come on. You're pleased you did because you really now understand something you didn't understand before you may not have enjoyed it but um well i hope it was worth it but thank you for hanging in there now let's give you a practical example um you don't like the way you feel about an associate at work a friend you don't like the way you feel about a parent. Maybe you don't feel like the way you feel about a child, but I'll explain that in a separate category. Maybe you don't f- like the way you feel about a spouse. Okay, all of those are bad beliefs. You know, I I'm resentful of my spouse. I believe she did me wrong. I believe she behaved badly. I believe those, that's what you really are saying. Um, you know, this is this this person at work. They're a real jerk. I believe they are a jerk. These are all beliefs. Um, uh, my parent, my parents, becoming impossible. I can't. I can't work with my. Pa- I, I whenever we're together, we because they're so impossible. I believe my parents have become impossible. These are all beliefs. Now, if you don't like a belief, why don't you change it? How do you change a belief? Come on, I just explained it to you. Same way you convert water into hydrogen and oxygen. You do an action and you insert energy. Well, what are you talking about, Rabbi Lappin? stop this already. Let's leave the example and let's talk about reality. Well, the example is kind of reality, but all right, fine. I know what you mean. Um, You don't like the way you believe somebody is. Or another way of putting it is you don't like the way you feel about another person. Say your spouse, you know, whatever it is, you know, your spouse does you feel your spouse didn't treat you respectfully that's a belief right beliefs and feelings run run close very closely together uh, you believe your spouse didn't treat you respectfully or you believe your spouse was not sensitive to what you think are your needs etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and so you're feeling resentful towards your spouse your belief is your spouse doesn't deserve your love and your good okay what are you supposed to do about it i'm going to express it in the form of an english formula and what is more i'm going to repeat it because it is quite complicated and so, if you want to jot it down, now's the time to grab a pen. Here's the rule number 117 of Rabbi Daniel Lapp. If you do not like the way you feel about somebody, start behaving towards that person the way you would behave if you already felt about them the way you wished you felt about them. <laughs> I wasn't trying to deliberately confuse you. I really wasn't. Here it goes again. And here's the nice thing about a podcast. For heaven's sake, just put it on slow and uh, write it down. It'll make sense once you wrote it down. Here it is coming again. If you don't like the way you feel about somebody, you know, maybe a spouse, maybe an, a work associate, you don't like the way you feel about somebody, start behaving towards them the way you would behave towards them if you already felt about them the way you wished you felt about them. How about an example? Okay, Um, there's a jerk at work. There's always a jerk at work, right? What are you going to do about the jerk at work? Well, you could quit and go and work somewhere else. But guess what? The jerk's going to follow you there. Oh, not the same one. There'll just be another one. But the point is jerkiness follows you everywhere. Uh, So what are you going to do? Well, uh, if you can't quit, maybe you can get him to quit. Nah, it's not going to be possible. So what is, well, wait a sec. If I could change the way I feel about him, if I could change my beliefs about him, I believe he's a total jerk. If I was capable of changing that belief, my life would actually become more pleasant. Because if I could stop believing he's a jerk, which is like saying I stop feeling that he's a jerk, well, then I won't perceive him to be jerky. That's right. I really won't. It sounds miraculous, but it's not. It's very simple and very straightforward. So here's what I do. Um, I bring him a, a cup of coffee tomorrow. Well, he's astounded. And that's part of the fun of doing this, by the way, is the bewilderment you cause in the jerk. He's utterly bewildered because he kind of knows that you don't believe he's a good person. You know, He kind of knows that you believe he's a jerk. And all of a sudden, you bring him a cup of coffee and then uh, two days later you have a a real nice pen you got from a client or from a vendor and you walk over to him and you say listen I've actually got one of these you might enjoy this pen I use it a lot it's really uh, a lovely pen and you give him uh, the pen well he's completely baffled and don't for a moment think that this is magically going to change him to stop being a joke it won't Jokes are jerks, but I'll tell you what it will do because you are behaving towards him the way you would behave if you actually liked him, if, if you believed he was a, not a jerk, your belief system starts changing. That's right. Actions change beliefs, right? And, and we, all, we all know these things already, right? Um, acting courageously makes you feel courageous. Acting cowardly makes you feel cowardly, Right? We kind of know this, but you need to sometimes have it spelled out as I'm doing here. And it takes energy. There's no question about it. Reading the equation this way, bringing about a change in your belief by forcing yourself to act in a way that is in accordance with how you wished you felt. Well, the clue was when I said force yourself, that's called energy, using energy. That's right. And so... It's possible to change your beliefs, even if it's your spouse, who you deeply love. But at the same time, you are really irritated at something he said to you um, this morning before work. And you're seething all day. You're seething. And the best part of it is you're thinking of all the things you're going to say as he walks through the all this afternoon. And you've got some real zingers that have been accumulating during the frustration of the day as you replay over and over and over again everything he did to infuriate you. That's one way of running your marriage. Here's another way. Change the way you feel about your spouse. How do you do that? Well, um, you know, uh, prepare his favorite dinner. Or um, uh, there are other also obvious ways that you can bring joy and delight to your husband when he walks through the door and um and you say to yourself well i'm not going to act that way i don't feel warmly towards him and i i don't want to be a hypocrite come on that's not being a hypocrite a hypocrite involves talking other people into doing things you don't do yourself no this is called inconsistency and you know what heaven is full of inconsistent people it's good hell may be full of hypocrites but heaven is full of inconsistent people. Inconsistent people means that we're not yet sure of whether we're such a good person, but we're going to act as if we're a good person anyway. That's called being inconsistent. There's nothing wrong with that. And so for you to say, look, um, I know I'm mad at him, but I don't want to stay mad at him. I want to fix that. I want to change the way I feel about him. Well, that's easy. Well, it's not. It takes energy. You've actually got to overcome the feelings of irritation, and you've got to act now the way you would act towards him if you felt incredible about him. And that's how you change the way you feel and the way you believe. And so um, whether it's a parent or a spouse, I said children are a little bit different because one of the reasons that we love children and we're so we, 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 our feelings are so warm towards our children is that we do things for them from nine months before they're born. You know, you carry the child when the child's born, you nurse the child, you protect the child, you keep the child warm and safe and dry. And then when the child wants to go to ballet lessons, you pay for ballet lessons and so on and so forth. You're constantly giving to the child. And that's one of the reasons why uh, parents love children much more unreservedly than children love parents. Because parents do more for children and the doing more for children means that you end up loving them more because your beliefs and your feelings follow your actions. But wait, didn't I also say that uh, that beliefs also produce action? Yeah, sure. And that produces energy. Because when you think to yourself, you know, I just love my husband or I love my wife so much. I, I just I can't wait to be together with them again. And and just uh, give them a gift or shower my love and my admiration and my affection and my adoration. That is becomes life affirming and energizing because now you're letting a belief produce an action that releases all the energy that was needed in the first place to change the belief on a by means of an action. I do hope that I am explaining this in a a clear way. I really do. Because this is so life-changing. And this is so life-enhancing. It makes such a huge difference once you understand this aspect of how the world really does work. Um, It's incredibly valuable and makes a huge difference. So... um, go ahead if you need to listen to it again go ahead and listen to it again but just realize that our actions produce our beliefs and yes I said I would allude to homosexuality earlier yeah sure there's no question about it that the more that a man engages sexually with another man the more he believes that he's a homosexual I don't I don't doubt that for a moment absolutely because actions shape beliefs. There is no doubt in my mind about it. And also, um, we know that, uh, well, here's a controversial one again. um, Don't think, I I don't know how challenging some of the things are that I say, but I want you to realize that it reflects a deep respect that I have for every happy warrior, because you are engaged In the struggles of life, intellectual struggles, belief struggles, financial struggles, family struggles, you are not only engaged in them, but you embrace them joyfully. That's why you're not just a warrior, you're a happy warrior. And so the fact that I present to you very controversial ideas is nothing other than a symbol of the respect that I have knowing that you are able to absorb into your being an idea that might conflict with something you already think you know or you already believe, and that's okay. And I'm saying, let both these conflicting ideas function in your heart at the same time. Scott Fitzgerald, who wrote The Great Gatsby, actually wrote these words, and I know he wrote them, I know I've seen them and for the life of me I've had trouble finding them. I wanted to be able to tell you exactly where he wrote these words and uh, I'm sorry I cannot but it makes no difference because the, the words are powerful and they are true and here they are. The mark of greatness in a human being is to be able to accept two conflicting ideas and to still be able to function. So... And by the way, I paraphrased it. I, I, I don't remember it word for word, but it's very close. And so, you know, at its at its simplest, I'll give you an example. A, um, a hardworking good man loses his father, who is a wealthy tycoon, and he had a great relationship with his dad. And I've actually had, on more than one occasion, a person come to me with feelings of tremendous guilt, that they're happy that they are inheriting... A huge amount of money from a beloved parent and at the same time this conflicts with their sadness and their grief at losing the parent how do you cope with this and I often quote that Scott Fitzgerald line that human greatness means specifically being able to have in your heart at the same time two incompatible ideas and to be able to continue to function even if they're irreconcilable. And I can't reconcile grief with happiness, that I, but I'm a human being. I'm capable of more than one sense at a time. And so I'm able to absorb both those two things simultaneously. That's wonderful. That's a very, very good thing. And so, um, and so I, uh, I realize that I'm telling you things that are different from things you believe or think you believe or know or think you know. And I ask for you to hold these two conflicting ideas, popular culture's idea and ancient Jewish wisdom's idea from your rabbi, and um, handle them both and say to yourself, I'm going to put these both in the balance. And I'm going to go through my life this week, and I'm going to constantly try and think, wait a sec, does popular culture more effectively describe reality that I witness with my eyes around me? Or Does ancient Jewish wisdom more accurately describe reality as I see it around me? And I leave you to make the decision all on your own. So another idea that conflicts powerfully with popular culture is that uh, male and female are quite different from one another. And so when, uh, when I might say to my young son, Um, stop that. I want you to behave like a man. I realize that your therapist might blanch in horror and indignation and even outrage at me using the words to a young boy, behave like a man. But I assure you that I did and uh, I would and I do and it is the right thing to do. I'm helping that young male acculturate into being a man and um, and so what is that you know what does it boil down to well you know every family has its own approach and every family has its own way but we absolutely expected different things from our son than we did from our daughters different things from the daughters than we did from the son we applied discipline in different ways Uh, we asked different things of them no question about it And today, they are wonderful young women, and he's a wonderful young man, a a model and an example. And and again, I'm not attributing that all to how Susan and I raised them. Uh, They all worked on themselves as well. And that was part of being a young man or a young woman is you do have an obligation to work on yourself. We never let our children say, I am what I am this is who I am. I don't change. No, you're not a camel or a cat or a cow or a kangaroo. You do change. And you make up your mind what sort of changes would bring you most happiness, fulfillment, and success in life. What sort of changes would make you a better person? And then you go about effecting those changes. And so, yes, uh, very big differences between male and female, between men and women. Uh, You only have to read the relevant chapters from Mark Twain's The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And there's that lovely section where Tom becomes aware of Becky Thatcher. And you see right away, uh, he's a boy and she's a girl. And for heaven's sake, the author Mark Twain knew the difference. And you can actually see it. It's so so easy. And the differences are real. Masculinity. Uh, inner strength, responsibility, confidence, even, even a touch of arrogance in its, you know, when it, when, it get, when it goes a little too far, when it goes wrong. A desire to protect. That's masculine and it's one we encourage in our boys. The idea of boundaries. Oh, courage. The demonstration of courage. Little Tom Sawyer showed, tried to demonstrate that he had courage. To, to Becky Thatcher. That's right. Female, um, much more receptive, more passive, uh, intuitive, much more intuitive than men, uh, capable of love and nurturing and tenderness, um, uh, aware of feeling, emotional, um, a, an innate willingness to surrender. With a man, with a male, an innate desire to conquer, to project power. These are re- <laughs> these are really obvious. I mean, it's 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 ludicrous that I'm even saying these things. I keep saying to myself, "I'm boring you. You're yawning. Come on, tell us something we don't know." Duh, you know. Well, but yeah, uh, I know. But in the culture out there, this stuff is uh, is is almost certainly in for many many people in many professions, this can be career-threatening to talk about these things in this way. It goes without saying. So I certainly, if you are in a situation like that, I certainly urge care and caution. But once again, action-producing beliefs. If I want my son to think of himself as a man, then I ask him to do manly things. If I want my daughter to think of herself as feminine, and to be a girl and to, be, to find delight and joy in being a woman, I ask her to do womanly things. And it's an entire aspect of child raising which doesn't get spoken about a whole lot because today it's entirely contrary to the popular culture. Remember I told you at the beginning a lot of this is predicated on popular culture's deep conviction that we are nothing but sophisticated animals, And the truth is that there are no differences between male and female lions or giraffes or camels or cats or cows or kangaroos. Uh, The differences are just biological. But with human beings, the biological differences are just the least of it. It's the spiritual differences that are so huge and so important. Femininity and masculinity, they exist with human beings, but not with animals. And so a lot of these things I know are contrary to the message, you, articles in the paper, magazines, on television, on the Internet. It is very, very difficult to hear the alternative approach that I am telling you today because there is so much woke dominance. You know, look, um, the, uh, the, the lethal obsession – on the left means that it must entirely dominate the culture. And that's why you will be hard pushed to find anywhere else where you will hear the kind of things we talk about on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show. And so there it is, my dear friends. Actions plus energy produce beliefs. And then finally, beliefs will result in actions, but also with a joyful release of energy. All that energy comes back to you. It's fun, it's exciting, it's beautiful, and it's joyful. And that, my dear friends, brings us to pretty much the end of today's Rabbi Daniel Lappin show. And it is always with sadness and reluctance that I draw close to the end Because it means it's another whole week before I get a chance to share with you ancient Jewish wisdom that will help you enhance your faith and your family, your fitness and your finances, and your friendships. Have a great week. Onwards and upwards. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappen. God bless.